Hello and welcome to episode 125 of The Winning Agenda. My name is Jesse Marshall and here with me as always is my lovable sidekick, everyone's favourite Bioroid, Wilfred E. Harig. How are you, Wilfie? Hi, great. Yeah, I think that's just the thing now. So if anyone um, wants to raise any concerns about the treatment of Bioroids in our society, then please feel free to email us. And if you don't, that's also okay too. Great. Thanks for that, Wilfie. Um... Now, this week we're talking about cider, uh, not the apple variety, but the Haas Bioroad variety. Uh, can you drink it? Um, I think that... I'm not really sure what the flavour of this identity is, but I'm, I don't... It's not like it's literally the brewery or whatever, so I'm not sure that they would make very good cider. No, I'm not seeing a lot of... Uh, liquid receptacles and or beverages in any of the artwork in this box. Yeah. So we'll assume not. Mm-hmm. But we'll keep an eye out anyway. Yeah, and uh, how are you, Wilfie? How, how have things been? Good. We're slogging through the Anzac tournament at... Slogging, maybe not the right word, because it's actually been going at quite a blistering pace of one match every week. Um, yeah. As Asynchronous of... tournaments are a little bit of a slog, though, in general, aren't they? Yeah, just, uh, you know, you have one uh, expenditure of time to organize your match and then another to play your match, which is okay. Um, And at the time of this recording, we're just about to play the fourth round. Is that right? Yeah. And... And things have not been going exactly to plan so far. Oh, no, that's unfortunate. Um, Did last week, did we talk about how the Anzac was going in general? I, I don't know that we did, but uh, let's just, for those who missed last week anyway, let's dive in. Yeah, sure. So the ANZAC is the Australia, New Zealand something, something. To Asynchronous do competition. Asynchronous yeah. comp- competition. The ANZAC is the Australia, New Zealand asynchronous competition. It's uh, net league that runs, um, is run by the... To Some friendly New Zealanders. Yeah, two people who want to go to Christchurch, I think. Yeah, I'm sure they'll correct us if that's incorrect. Um, mm. In order to support the New Zealand community and hopefully send someone to Worlds, and there are some great promos. You can win some winning agenda tokens. You can win um, playmats, and as a participation prize, they've printed out some alternate art IDs. I think there's a max. Um, and two others, one, one for each runner faction. And as someone who never uses promos, what do you think of the ultimate art IDs? Oh, uh, it's a cool idea. I mean, I like the, um, blue, I have a blue sun that we got from, um, the Monarch of Monarch Service, of service yep. tournament last year, which I think is pretty cool. I think that especially the sort of stylistically different, um, IDs are a good way to make promos without necessarily making them um, too generic or too similar to the regular card themselves. So these ones have like a, a really cool, um, slightly different art style across the whole card. So they're quite distinct and distinctive, I suppose, aren't they? Yeah. Um, so it's all uh, been run pretty well it's a cool idea and at the moment i am 4-2 and jesse you are 3-3 is that right yeah very exciting record um (laughs) but hopefully it will improve by next time and i won't just remain in uh in splitsville so 
Uh, one thing I also wanted to touch on, aside from the Anzac tournament, which has been a whole lot of fun, is that last week we, in fact, maybe in the week before, we put out a call for people to explain what a sin attack is uh, in relation to the card, um, which is called sin attack, isn't it? Something yep. like that. Anyway, um, and we had two people independently email us and tell us what a sin attack is. Well, maybe How fantastic is that. Maybe not independently. We don't know if there was a sin attack involved in order to coordinate their efforts. But now we know what a sin attack is. We know that if there was a sin attack involved, it would have involved denying us the information. Oh, can you please explain? Yeah. So uh, Eric Katz, a senior cybersecurity en- engineer. Um, so thank you, Eric, for for emailing in has uh, sent us a very enlightening summary of what a sin attack is. It's a form of denial of service. Um, and when carried out with multiple computers, it becomes a distributed denial of service. Uh, and basically it involves the three-way handshake that's involved in TCP protocols that enable internet communication. And when your uh, computer is communicating with the server uh, or the network, there's what's called synchronization packets, which is the SYN part, S-Y-N, of SYN attack. Um, and when synchronization packets are sent by the server, your computer then sends an acknowledgement, which is a SYN acknowledgement packet. But if you don't respond with your SYN acknowledgement packet, then the server sits there waiting for the response. So if you set up a computer system that deliberately tries to connect to networks, but never send back SYN acknowledgement packets, then the server is constantly sending you synchronization packets, which is the first part of the handshake, and you're never responding. And so the server gets tied up. And anyone else who's trying to connect to that server uh, will never get a response because the server um, is too busy. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, And it is Eric's very learned opinion that the SYN attack card is a beautiful representation of this because the corp is forced to drop resources to prevent the attack, which is a common method of prevention. Um, so uh, yeah, apparently a very, very flavorful card, uh, very well designed. And thank you, Eric. And also, uh, who was the other person who emailed in to us? Uh, Ducksbridge emailed in and told us what it is with a, with a couple of links. So thank you to both of you. And as always, listeners, keep up the two-way communication because we love hearing answers to our flavor-related questions, don't we, Wilfie? Yes. Excellent. So uh, now that we've cleared up what a sin attack is, we're going to dive into cider uh, and hopefully not make too big a splash while we talk about cider laboratories, Destiny Defined. It's an identity division, 45 deck size minimum, influence 15, The first time each turn the runner loses or spends a click during a run, you may add one card from archives to the top of R&D. Aside from the obvious fact that HB identities struggle to compete with engineering the future, how does this card appear to you in a vacuum, Wilfie? Yeah, so if we think of it like a Byroid support identity, it compares sort of obviously to Stronger Together, which is not very good. I don't think anyone really needs to hear us um, brag on it anymore. Mm-hmm. And it also compares to Architects of Tomorrow. So this um, is more like Stronger Together in that it forces the runner well, to interact. To. Oh, yeah, it f- forces the runner to interact 
in a certain way with your biroids when normally the runner gets to choose the best way to interact with your biroids, whether to break them naturally to let them fire or to click through them. This gives them, this swings the balance a little more towards one side. Yeah, it's true that it doesn't force them, but it tries to make that um, balance a little harder for the runner by making it much worse for them to spend clicks. Um, in addition to that, it also synergizes with abilities that force the runner to lose clicks without necessarily the Byron ability. Mm-hmm. And what's the payoff i guess is the that's my big question about this card is does adding a card from archives to the top of r&d accomplish enough so i would say that there are two main things you can do with it the first is to recur friends in high places and other asset asset things in order to play a very slow glacier glacier game but i think that's not as good oh so that's one of the things you can do with it is to play a glacier game with assets that recur to give you some advantage like campaigns and breaker bay grid etc um another thing you can do is you can play it with still friends in high places but in a more horizontal deck which i think is a lot worse just because that minimizes the number of times that the runner will interact with your byroads at all um or you can play it basically solely to recur biotic labor um, in a fast advance style deck. Uh, And that, I think, has the best chance of being viable just because if you can uh, maximize the number of times you get to play biotic labor during a game, you can very conceivably not have to build a remote or not have to build a very strongly defended remote. Um, Mm, And it, it could potentially be a combination of option one and option three, couldn't it? Yeah, I mean, you still use friends in high places with HB asset economy campaigns and breaker bay grid, but you also want to recur biotic labor to score. Yeah, that's true. You can definitely go a number of ways, but I'm just thinking. I feel like the third one makes the most sense to me, just because if you're if you don't have to build a remote, then you're maximizing the effectiveness of your ice on the two central servers, HQ and R and D, and that might mean that your ability can either trigger the most times or it's more detrimental to the runner that you can build big servers like heavily iced servers on those two centrals you don't think that a runner in the current metagame is going to have the economic power to compete with a corp that never builds a remote so is therefore presumably relying on uh, operation economy exclusively Mm, sort of I think actually that's a bit um, interesting that you say that because I think that operation economy and this works best against the main runner economy at the moment which is still Temujin I think like if Mm. you can use your ice on your three central servers don't build a remote and then every time this ability triggers you get in the early game you get to get back restructure hedge fund or IPO and then in Mm. the late game you get to get back biotic that, I think, is a perfectly reasonable game plan by itself. The only issue is how um, difficult it might be to get this ability to fire in the late game. I feel like once your opponent has a full set of breakers, like the effectiveness of this is much uh, less, is, is lessened significantly, just because, sure, they, it might be 
better for them to click through economically but most runner decks are built so that if they have their rigs set up it's not that hard to get into corp servers so mm. like once they're once they're, the game's got into the late game most runners have tools to get into centrals and score seven points so it's sort of like is it possible to find enough tools to fast advance to seven points without like like any fast advance deck really um while still sort of using this ability as a deterrent in the early game yeah i i'm skeptical about whether you could have the economy to do that like i mean i get that you can shut out tamagin but yeah i'm just i'd be i'd like to see that like test that sort of deck with just economy operations reasonably beefy bioroids biotic labors i'm just not sure that you'd be able to sequence your economy in such a way or reliably sequence your economy in such a way that you can afford to get the agendas out of hq and make use of your biotic labors early enough that not only do you reduce the agenda density in hq but you also get the biotic labors in the bin so that you get the value from recurring them and also be able to res your ice early i think that would be the main challenge with that sort of deck yeah i think that it's sort of a maybe a post rotation thing so we'll see what happens when the card pool gets a bit weaker and maybe i think like this is you know we can speculate about rotation all we want but um yeah i think at the moment it's missing a couple of things in terms of speed to make that game plan effective Mm -hmm. cool uh the next card in the pack is brain rewiring it's a three for one agenda security when you score brain re- brain rewiring, you may pay X credits to force the runner to add X cards from his or her grip to the bottom of his or her stack at random, then draw one card. Taking as read everything that we always say about three for one agendas and the need for them to be reasonably high power, does this meet that very high threshold? Um, I would say that the main drawback to this card is that in addition to scoring your three for one agenda, you still need to pay more credits before it actually has an effect. Like three for ones that have seen play in the past, um, they've used the status, like they've had abilities that are strong enough to counterbalance the fact that they are three for ones and that scoring them is already a cost in that you get fewer points than you might expect for your advancements. So this and is, this gives yeah. you neither resource doesn't give you cards credits or clicks none none of those three it costs you more credits <clears throat> pardon me yes it denies the runner some number of cards from their grip but how often are the exact cards in the runner's deck at a particular point in the game sorry in the runner's grip at a particular point in the game the key to who succeeds in this following few turns i don't think it's that often and therefore i don't think it's a consistent or reliable enough effect to warrant including in your deck aside from the fact that the resource trade is pretty abhorrent yeah i think if it was a bit more efficient maybe if it cost a bit less to make them spend cards i think it might actually be a fairly reasonable tempo card like if you get to score it you know you might be able to set the runner back a net of three or four cards which is i think not so bad but the fact that you have to spend more of your credits in addition to already having scored this three for one just to get any effect at all makes it pretty underpowered i think 
Hmm. Agreed. The next card in the pack is a five for three agenda. It's called Elective Upgrade. It's an agenda initiative. Place two agenda counters on Elective Upgrade when you score it. Click and hosted agenda counter. Gain two clicks. Use this ability only once per turn. So it's the Biotic Labor 5 for 3 that's usable twice. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Yeah, I do think so. Um, although I think the main issue with this card, even if we disregard for a little bit the necessary caveats about 5 for 3s, is that you need to sort of score this before you score your other agendas, which is not impossible if you're trying to rush it out early in the game. It just makes that strategy a lot more risky because it doesn't give you any bonus if you're going to score it later, like through a well-iced remote. So you sort of are relying on getting it down early enough in the game that you can actually get, check the runner out of the remote, which is pretty hard nowadays, I think. It's a pretty... Like, assuming that you're playing in a deck that's got three Bardic Labors in it, it's a pretty good 5 for 3 to spend your Labors on. Like, if you can get up to 13 credits and have this never advanced on the board and then score this with your 13 credits, it puts you in a reasonably powerful position in that you've effectively got those two biotic labors back again to use for your next two agendas that's true um but then again it's sort of like if you're relying on things like this like if you're the cost like if that doesn't if the plan doesn't work out because you're relying on never advancing a something which is, you know, it can definitely work a lot of the time and biotic labor can definitely be used to that effect with um, harder to score agendas in that you can you never you don't have to advance them when they're on the board and leave them advanced for a turn. But the issue with that is that you're still playing a five for three in your deck that the downside to the runner scoring is so high. Like I mean that, I know that goes... So if we're going to yeah. assume that you're ever going to play a 5 for 3 that's not Global Food Initiative, which is a lot to assume. Or that's not defensive at all, right? Yeah. Um, I think this is about where you want to be. Yeah, I think so. proactive, positive ability. True. It's definitely... Yeah, okay, sure. So let's if we look at it in that sense, then, yeah, it's, I think it can be okay. But I feel feel like at like just I don't really think that the biotic labor ability works with having five threes in your deck they don't really synergize that much just because even if your plan is not to fast advance all of your agendas you would usually prefer to have the chance to biotic labor most of your agendas out without having to necessarily use a huge number of resources to do so Mm. like I feel like while this might be stronger than some of the other similar cards just in terms of power level like I'm I guess I'm comparing it to something like high risk uh, investment or graft as we might see later on it has a more powerful ability but I think it works less well with what you want to do in a deck that you have five threes in to begin with yeah, I don't know. I, I guess, obviously, being worth less points to the runner is the best ability a 5 for 3 can have. 
having some defensive ability I think is probably next best. And then, but I think close behind that is an ability that directly helps you to win the game. That, um, mm-hmm. That's so, and I, I think that's what this does. That's definitely true. But I'm just thinking that you know, in fast advanced decks in the past, five for threes have never really been played. It's only now that we have global food initiative that's so far above the curve that makes it even a potential option, right? But there never was one that synergized so well either with Fast Advance. I mean, Efficiency Committee was played for years in Fast Advance decks, even if it didn't necessarily synergize because it was the best four for two at the time Uh um, in terms of value. And I think this that even more directly synergizes with your Fast Advance plan is a reasonable way to consider including your other agenda points beyond your 12... um, three for two points okay yeah that's cool i can see that anyway um we'll, we'll leave that up to testing and uh if you have any thoughts on elective upgrade let us know um speaking of testing successful field test is the next card it's a four for two agenda research uh when you score successful field test install any number of cards from hq ignoring all costs this is another potentially pretty big benefit um for scoring an agenda probably not or almost certainly not edging out corporate sales team and the slightly less good advanced concept hopper but definitely sort of up and about that range what do you think yeah i think first of all we sort of have to consider this card in combination with the next one since that's at the time of this recording literally all the rage on the internet but Mm. i also do think that a card like this that is unbounded you know that can potentially when you score it you can get like a turn or almost a turn's worth of value out of it like can, is potentially fairly strong like it has some you could f- potentially get even more in ci i suppose yeah like but even in yeah i just mean even in realistic situations it's not that hard to get three or four installs out of it even in a pretty regular deck like mm. as long as you're mostly playing installables and you know things that are good to install and things that give you cards then being able to score this can sort of catapult your game plan ahead a couple turns, which it's sort of the opposite of corporate sales team, right? In that this gives you a huge benefit all at once, whereas corporate sales team gives you a more consistent and benefit over a long period of time, but it's not as explosive. Mm. Yeah, I mean, considering that when it's used in combination with Turtlebacks and Estelle, Estelle Moon, which we're about to discuss, it can give you a significant number of credits in addition to the clicks that it's saving you from your installs, in addition to cre- uh, credits that you save from installing ICE because this ignores all costs of install. This is potentially a, a very large economic boost. Um, yeah, and if you build your deck around it, as you say, it could be... Um, not only uh, delivering its benefit to you in a shorter span of time than corporate sales team, but it could get close to actually delivering you a gross benefit that's greater than corporate sales team if you've got the right cards. Yeah, I think so. And if you think of something like um, team sponsorship, yeah, in, in combination with something like team sponsorship, and in the past we've seen cards like team sponsorship be so good because they've allowed you to 
chain one agenda into another like score an agenda immediately install another agenda in that server so you spend the fewest number of turns uh not scoring your agendas when you have the opportunity opportunity to so i feel like cards like that are stronger than they look at first glance just because of how they impact your scoring patterns excellent so yeah as with the previous agenda but probably more so with this one because i think the power ceiling on this is extremely high uh, get about field testing, listeners, and, and let us know how you go with it. The next card in the pack is Estelle Moon. It's a unique asset executive, two to res, three to trash, and two influence. Whenever you install a card in a server, place one power counter on Estelle Moon. Trash, at instant speed, draw one card and gain two credits for each power counter on Estelle Moon. Wow. Um... Comparing this with Turtlebacks for a second, Wilfie, um, which was a pretty regular splash in both HB and NBN asset spam decks, and um, and Wayland, Wayland even that, I think yeah, just, for that matter, yeah, yeah all four factions. Um, yeah, how does this compare? Obviously, it's twice the influence, but in faction, it, where that's not an issue, it seems like the benefit that you get for each new server is even greater than with Turtlebacks, and it doesn't even have to be new servers. Yeah, so I think that assessment's pretty spot on. Like, it's sort of like a Turtlebacks that, you know, you have to trash to get the benefit out of, but it's not like you have to spend a click to trash it or anything. You can trash it only at the most opportune time. And when you do, you get an enormous benefit, much more than Turtlebacks. So I think that the only drawback with this is like in comparison to turtlebacks is that it's unique and you sort of have to use Mm. one before the other so you can't charge up two at the same time but aside from that it does it seems like especially being able to draw cards like just all these sort of factors go together being able to draw cards um and synergizing with the type the card type that is easiest to get out of your hand that being assets and the easiest to provide some benefit every turn that they're on the board right so Mm. if you can install this res this and install three things then your opponent even if your opponent runs it you still get a huge boost of credits and cards and have the potential benefit of the three cards that you've installed as well and not to mention the fact that friends in high places is a very recently printed HB card, and this card is sort of resilient to Salset slums, right? Yes, exactly. It's very hard to go slumsing this um, once it, once you've drawn it into your hand and you have the option to put it on the board. The other, I guess, element to that power cycle that you were talking about there is that this draws you food for your next one. So if one of the three cards that you installed after you res this was your next Estelle Moon, or if... Uh, one of the cards that you draw from trashing this is your next Estelle Moon, then you can go go on chaining that um, yeah. into eternity. Exactly. I think um, the... Uh, uh, yeah, I was just going to say, I think the only, um, I guess not issue with this card, but the only... Because Estelle Moon is really is the hot new thing at the time of this recording. The only thing that you would keep in mind is the same thing as against all the horizontal decks that at some point, if your opponent just runs R&D every turn, if you can't 
stop them from doing that fast enough, they'll eventually score seven points potentially before you, right? Like, it's very hard to build a horizontal deck that is resilient to a runner that just installs multi-access tools and runs R&D at every possible opportunity. Um, which yeah. this doesn't necessarily deal with, but the it does. Having an Estel Moon in play is such a difference in speed compared to not when you're setting up your game plan that I think that drawback is, or that strategic drawback is mitigated somewhat. Great. The uh, Yeah, well, I think Estelle Moon is going to be uh, the subject of much debate and much discussion over the coming weeks. So, listeners, if you have any thoughts on Estelle Moon, the best uses for it, whether it should be banned, shredded, uh, burnt, torn up, whatever, let us know. The next card in the pack is Marilyn Campaign. It's an asset advertisement. Two to res, three to trash, and only one influence. Spark Agency, here we go. Uh, place eight credits on Maryland Campaign when it's resed. When there are no credits left on Maryland Campaign, trash it. Take two credits from Maryland Campaign when your turn begins. If it's trashed while installed, you may shuffle it into R&D instead of adding it to archives. So it's a self-recurring Adonis Campaign that gets you two instead of three every turn, has eight instead of 12 on it. So you're still getting four charges, but you're getting one less each time. Uh, but the res cost is equal to the cost of one of the charges. And as I began with it, it recurs itself. How does this compare, Wilfie? Yeah, so it's somewhere... I've been thinking of it like it's somewhere between launch campaign and Adonis in terms mm. of the... Um, on one end, you have launch campaign, which pays out... Like, which exceeds its res cost immediately, but it's also the easiest to get rid of and lasts for the shortest period of time. And Adonis, mm. or I guess Eve... Adonis and then Eve on the other end um, in the spectrum, which don't pay out as quickly, but also give you, but give you a greater return over the total life of the asset, I suppose. Mm. Um, yeah. And Maryland campaign, I think in most of the decks that want campaigns nowadays, faster is better, just because being keeping a remote ideally iced you usually want your campaigns to be iced um so they can pay out for as long as you want them to keeping a remote using some of your ice but hosting a campaign is not i think the best use of your resources um so if this was if this didn't have the recursion ability um the fact that it still takes four turns to pay out means that it occupies your remote server for the same amount of time as Adonis, mm-hmm. um, but it gives you the return. So, like on the second turn, you're ahead of where you were with Adonis. Is that right? Uh, yes. Oh no! On the second oh, turn, no, you're, you're equal. Not. You're equal. Yeah. It's only uh, on the first you... turn that you're ahead, which is still important, I think, it, given that wizard or anti-asset cards are so um, s- strong nowadays, also ne- necessary nowadays, right? That also the threshold to res is lower. Yes. Which is important because there are turns where you just don't have four to res your Adonis, but you may have two to res this so you can get your economy moving, which is good. Um, when comparing it, though, I, I think the turn after it's resed is the best time to trash any campaign, and a lot of runners won't trash them in the turns after that because it's just not worth it unless you're wizard. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we're considering comparing this to Adonis, if it's trashed the turn after it's resed, this puts you ahead? 
Yep, whereas Adonis uh, puts so you that's behind. The worst, so this, that's the sort of worst case scenario. Yes. I mean, this puts you even. It puts you yeah, sure, 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 sure. with Adonis. Yep. Um, so that's the worst case scenario. So the worst case scenario is slightly better for this card than for Adonis. Um, the best case scenario, though, for Adonis is better because you're getting more net credits in yes. the same period of time. So, yeah, I guess that's really what you've got to weigh up is the, again, forgetting the, the shuffling ability, the, the recursion. Um, the, the question you've got to ask is, is resing this for slightly fewer credits and being slightly less far behind if they trash it on that first turn more important to you than getting more credits in totality? So is tempo more important to you than overall number of credits? And I um, think at, as the game is going on, is uh, speeding up, that sort of tips more towards the faster cards than the slower cards. So I think hmm. Maryland campaign is only getting better and better. And I think if we just quickly talk about the shuffling ability, because it's very hmm. rare, like we've never seen a card that does anything like this before, right? No. no. Um, I think it's very good. Yeah, like... It, it's hard to measure its impact but it's sort of like if it can give you it's hard hard to think about numbers but if it it's not that hard to think of a situation where it, if you have three Maryland campaigns in your deck and you sort of want them in your remote a lot of the time basically all the time you're not scoring an agenda the fact that it's not that hard to get one extra Maryland campaign usage then with Adonis because of the shuffling ability I think makes it potentially stronger in that sense I think so too it, it prevents the uh, it dilutes R&D prevents agenda density um, concentration and it also synergizes really well with friends in high places for getting that ability so like if they trash it from a central obviously it doesn't get shuffled back in but then if you friends it back and then they trash it it does get shuffled back in again so it's got that additional synergy with friends where it's even more painful for the runner. If they spend the credits putting it into archives from a central, then you bring it back. And then even if they go and trash it again, it doesn't even end up in archives. It ends up back in your deck. Yeah. So I think that actually this is probably the best campaign at the moment um, and the most flexible just because that uh, last ability gives you a lot of strength where the other campaigns don't have in ways other than giving you credits mm -hmm. great the next card in the pack is eli 2.0 one that we've been waiting for for a very long time eli's grown up a little bit who knows what he'll look like when he's a, a big boy in eli 3.0 but anyway it's a code get uh, sorry it's an ice barrier biroid it's four strength five to res the runner may spend two clicks to break up to two subroutines on eli 2.0 it's got two and the runs and the big benefit of the 2.0, as opposed to the 1.0, is a new subroutine, the Corp may draw one card. So for two extra credits, Wilfie, you get the 2.0 ability, but then who is spending one click on Eli 1? Nobody. Well, very rarely. Um, so you've got this face check penalty of the Corp may draw one card. What do you think? Yeah, I'm not sure about it compared to Eli 1.0. Paying an extra two for no appreciable benefits in strength and only one subroutine of, like, questionable value is not that great, I think. Like, not that the subroutine is not that bad, but when you think about how hard it is to 
stop a runner getting into a server protected by Eli 2.0, the first subroutine doesn't hinder the runner in any way. And like, Do you think the best place for Eli 1.0 was on a central as opposed to a remote though? Yeah, that's true. But I still like the costing extra two is a lot. Like compared to Eli 1 where its main strength was how cheap it was to res for its efficient for how efficient it was this is sort of whereas eli 1.0 was very efficient this is sort of middle of the range which makes its subroutines more important i think and so the fact that it has three subroutines that don't really do the same thing to one another like it doesn't have i I think it's it's interesting to think about this though isn't it as if they have two clicks to spend on eli 1.0 the card does nothing other than that other than tax those two clicks. If they have two clicks to spend on this, you still draw a card every time. And if they want to stop you drawing a card, they have to pay a lot more. Like, it's not like they can just spend one more click, you know? Yeah, sure. Um, that's true. So, mm-hmm. if you can add a you get to draw a card every time they run R&D, that could be good in the right deck, couldn't it? Like, it could be more more better than getting nothing than it seems, I guess, as a, a subroutine that's not, it doesn't scream amazing at you off the page. That's true. Do you, do you see what I'm getting at? Yeah, like, like yeah. I think the differential between the two cards is greater than just having an extra mess subroutine. It's having an extra mess subroutine that is almost always going to fire, which is not something you see very often on ice. That's true, but then it's sort of like it's almost always going to fire because it's not necessarily that impactful to the runner. I think that's sort of a double-edged sword there. Like, I do get that it synergizes with the 2.0 ability because it has three subroutines, but Mm. it's also sort of like, as opposed to something like um, Fairchild, where, or Fairchild 3 specifically, where all of the subroutines are really bad for the runner and they have to it, it's not like it's good to just let one of them fire even if you could um that eli 2.0 is sort of like it's a five cost um ice that you can just spend two clicks and still get into the server i think it's sort of kind of like itchy one is nowadays i think and itchy one now is i think a little below the power curve if you're not trying to like if you're not especially concerned about requiring an end the run uh itchy 1.0 is a little below the power curve if the trasher program subroutine isn't especially impactful to you just because Mm. you know the first i think this may be slightly better than itchy 1.0 yeah but the face check like itchy 1.0 still requires the runner to run with a century breaker right like Whereas well, no, this... because I don't... Not early. And that's what's key, I think. Like, uh, okay. Itchy's always been bad to have in your opening hand m- most of the time. But I yeah. think it's worse now than it ever was because runner decks are faster and the game's faster. Yeah, I think so too, definitely. Um, and I think this sort of gets around that drawback because if it's in your opening hand, you can just plonk it. on one Right, of and it's actually... And it yeah, job. and the first ability is best early. Yeah. Okay, I can see that. But I still think that... Like compared comparing it to EG one, the Trasher program subroutine is you know synergizes with a lot more things than this does. This sort of 
the own the main strength of this card is in its subroutines like you can't really use it in any other way right but the main subroutines on this and the run the main subroutines on each year trasher program so the the court may draw one card is the trace one on each yeah yeah i agree i agree yeah anyway um yeah, again, listeners, feel free to chime in on this one. It's uh, not one that I've seen a lot of people play, and, and to be honest, I haven't included it in a deck yet, so I, I'm talking up something that I haven't got a lot of experience with at this point. But, yeah, in terms of raw numbers, I think it's not as good as Eli 1, but um, not as much worse as it may seem, I don't think. Uh, Executive Functioning is the next card. It's an Ice Code Gate AP Tracer, 2 to res, 1 strength. It's got 1 subroutine, Trace 4, do one brain damage, which we presume is if successful, uh, yeah. as we presume with all the other ice in this pack, even though they don't say that. Um, but presuming that's the case, Wolfie, what do you think? So I think at this point in the game, we might need a script to talk about the brain damage cards because they're yeah <laughs> we, we always kind of say the same thing. So I want to say something different about executive functioning and uh-huh. like not in terms of talking about like how the art looks like a Metroid or whatever, but just in terms of like a met like the things from metroid doesn't don't you think so i don't know what a metroid is okay well uh, our listeners can inform jesse as to what a metroid is please do um but just like it's i think that this card is like in the brain damage okay now what do you think about this card that doesn't just repeat everything we've talked about we've said about brain damage <laughs> you're really past. struggling aren't yeah you? I, I mean, am. there's just, nothing about this card that isn't brain damage like it's yeah, a brain damage card i've really made it, it pretty difficult on myself i think yeah I, I think we should just move on i think our listeners can listen back to everything we've had to say about brain damage in the past and for those who aren't well acquainted i'm sure you can find a relevant pack that has an hb brain damage card recently and hear everything we have to say uh okay i will just say quickly that this is probably one of the better pieces in that kind of deck just because of how efficient it is um if they yeah, run two into is it pretty cheap yeah two two is fairly cheap and if you can get to a point where dealing them brain damage is good then this is a good rate for the cost and actually gives you some relevant ice in that kind of deck mm-hmm. good uh the next card is Holmgard. it is a seven to res five strength sentry tracer destroyer first subroutine is trace four the runner cannot access any cards during this run. Again, presumably if successful. Second subroutine is Trash One Icebreaker. Both of those subroutines are pretty good. Yeah, I've actually ha- immediately put this card into a deck. Um, although I, I think uh, long-time listeners may know that I try to build an IT department deck about once every <laughs> two months, and this card immediately <laughs> slot into there. That's a lie. Two months is a massive exaggeration. Oh, you think it should be uh, like every week or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like this is actually quite a good card in that kind of deck just because it's a uh, program trasher that you can, that works well with the IT department, but that you can also res even if the runner doesn't have programs, which has not necessarily been the case in the past. Like something like Ichi is pretty miserable to res if they don't have any programs, but if you, like, emergency need something, this is not so bad. Um, the trace obviously doesn't synergize with IT department, though. No, that's true, but, you know, you if you want to put it on the outside of a 2i server, then you can still 
res it and they have to pay through it mm. um, even if they don't have an icebreaker so it's sort of I think beneficial in that regard and but as a regular card like not in that kind of deck I've actually found the card to not be that not be weak I think like 7 is a lot that's true but it's a 5 cost uh, 5 strength ice with 2 relevant subroutines and trash one icebreaker is a pretty good ability I think oh, like, I mean compared to assassin like assassin you have to trace twice this you only have to trace once yes it doesn't have net damage but arguably the trace four for preventing access is more powerful yeah i think both of these subroutines are better than assassins two subroutines in general like um just because if you want seven cost ice in your deck you're probably trying to run the runner out of resources like Mm -hmm. rather than trying to kill them with um damage so and yeah. this card is is more resilient to Link and etc. So yeah, I think Assassin is a good comparison, and this card is almost most of the time better. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I, I really like the art as well. I think it's very dynamic, like the bright color, good contrast. Uh, there's definitely space for flavor text on this card, though. Thoughts? Um, maybe they just wanted to give you some nice uh, background to look at because we don't really spend a lot of time thinking about the background on cards like the no. background on the text box rather than the it does art. look kind of cool yeah uh the next card in the pack is tapestry it's a five to res code gate strength six it's got three subroutines first is the runner loses click if able the second is the court may draw one card mm, sounds familiar eli 2.0 the third is the court may add one card from hq to the top of r&d oh a bit of synergy uh what do you think of this one, Wolfie? It doesn't look like a bad one to have on R&D early. Yeah, that's true. Um, or even in front of a Byroid. Yeah, like, I can... I just... I'm not sure about paying... Like, I know that the strength subroutines, all of that is very strong, but I feel like the subroutines still aren't as impactful as you want on a piece of ice, like... It's sort of like uh, Aaron Boy or whatever, right? Like, is it... I feel like this is better than that, though. Like, it's... Is it? If, because you get to control what card's on top of R&D. I think that's a pretty powerful ability. So, basically, uh, if, they, if they don't break this, they can never get an agenda off the top of R&D. Like, if they're seeing only one card. Yeah. Right. I don't know. It sort of seems to me like runners don't usually run through five cost ice just for single accesses although i guess with temujin maybe a bit more of the time then mm. that or with statement might um might suspect like that statement might imply mm. um so i guess in that sense maybe it's sort of like archangel that if they run into it you get some ability that's fairly strong like but doesn't necessarily end the run like a, a tempo some tempo advantage but the runner can you know always get through it yeah um i guess when i think of it like that it seems a bit better um it does Mm. synergize with the hp identity from this pack also yeah which is not insignificant at all so yeah i guess Um, like if you want a card that is strong that it's okay to not really be able to put in a remote this is one of the better ice for that, but I still question how many of those kind of ice you want to put in your deck. I guess 
more if you're doing the fast advance thing that we talked about earlier this episode. Yeah, and I'm not sure there are many that tax the runner quite this much if they want to break it, you know? Yeah, that's true. That's the main... Six gates with three subroutines are pretty hard. That's the main benefit to this card, I think, that it's almost always going to be beneficial for the runner to let these subroutines fire rather than break them. Um, It's just whether you can make the collective three subroutines worth putting the ice in your deck. Yep. Good summary. The next card in the pack is Ultraviolet Clearance. It's a six cost triple operation, so you have to spend an additional two clicks to play it. You gain 10 and draw four cards, and then you install one card paying all costs. Uh, so our good friend Crushed Guava was straight playing this straight out of the box, just jammed it into his CI deck and wasn't thrilled with the results. Have you been enjoying playing it so far or have you given it a go? Uh, I haven't played this card personally, but I have played it against it a fair bit at this point. And I think that it's in with accelerated diagnostics, it's obviously extremely strong. Um, mm-hmm. So, but just thinking about it not like normally as a sort of resource advantage card for your CI deck um, I think it's sort of underwhelming to play like it's just spending your whole turn to do something is really a, a huge restriction especially when that something is to draw cards like I guess the obvious comparison is to violet level clearance but um, violet level clearance uh, at least let you do two things before, whereas this kind of only lets you do one thing. But in- getting to install a card does significant is like one of the better things to have on something like this, right? If you're going to mm. spend your whole turn to do something, you want it at least to have the chance to affect the board. Oh yeah. Um, but it's just so it's just like whether this like I think um, in a regular deck there are lots of cards that do this similar sort of thing but aren't as um, restrictive that you can play in more situations so I Mm -hmm. think it's sort of relegated only to accelerated diagnostics even if it is extremely strong there yeah comparing to blue level clearance you're gaining four and four um, for three clicks instead of two and two for two clicks and you're getting this install tacked on Um, so your last click is worth the same as the first two again. I think plus the install. Blue level gains you five and costs two. So it gives you three and two. Oh, so it gives you three Three credits, two cards. Yeah, so this gives you four and four. So you're getting another credit, two cards, and an install for your third card. Yeah, so it's sort of like a blue level plus a lateral growth, I think is the best Mm. way I think about it. Um, Which is good, I think, but like... You know how there are so many operations like this that you can fit in your deck that aren't as restrictive. Yeah. Um, and already blue level is sort of like a lot of the times you can't really play it early because you don't want yeah. to discard and this sort of exacerbates that, especially since the best sort of cards against CI is something like uh, Employee Strike that reduces... or Employee Strike, Siphon Vamp, stuff like that that reduces the number of cards you can have in hand. So if we were gonna, I think what I was starting to think about in terms of that blue level comparison is that the three and two for your first two clicks is already a little too weighted towards cards. You'd sort of prefer an extra half a credit and half a card less. Yeah. Um, 
where and this gives you then even more cards without scaling the credits up very much so it gives you two extra cards and one extra credit i think if you flipped that ratio or even made it um you know more even more credits and less cards i think the card would be better like i'm not sure that beyond sort of two maybe three drawing cards is really that useful for a corp mm-hmm. yeah most of the time it, being so extreme in terms of the numbers i think does um make it very narrow but powerful hmm. cool the the next card in the pack is black level clearance um so clearance is everywhere but this one's an upgrade what the uh four to res one to trash it's an upgrade security protocol when the day when these subroutines become relevant, I don't know, I'll eat my hat. Anyway, uh, whenever there is a successful run on this server, the runner must either take one brain damage or jack out. If the runner jacks out, gain five, draw one card, and then trash black level clearance. Just to be clear, you're talking about sub subtypes, right? Not subroutines. Oh, yeah, sorry, subtypes. Did I say subroutines? My yeah, mistake. that's okay. Well, they have, um, like, with the uh, troubleshooter <laughs> MCA informant thing, they've already caused at least one fiasco yeah uh so careful if you're printing any security protocol related cards exactly Um, or even security i mean if they print things that relate to agendas that have the security subtype will this be caught up in it oh no yeah (laughs) um so the this is a, a little bit of a confusing card and i think it's hard to evaluate it without playing with it um because you're the choice you're giving them is essentially in the caprice nisei window ish or in the ash window um the runner either takes a brain damage or jacks out. So they still get their successful run trigger, but then they get to choose to either take a brain damage or jack out. If they jack out, this card goes away, but the corp gets a decent economic benefit and they've obviously um, kept the runner out for that uh, on that run. Or the runner can just take one brain damage. This stays there, but the runner does get to access. And I think that option most of the time is going to be more attractive to the runner um, and is going to deal with this pretty well because you can take a brain damage and then trash this for one, right? Yeah, I think that this card is really, really bad if you think about the numbers. Like, getting them to jack out... If you think about it like this, that the normal state is to take a brain damage and continue, you've spent four to give them to a brain damage, which, if brain damage is relevant, you know, usual caveats apply, is okay, but it's never going to kill them, like... You know, if yep. you can only basically do that if it's expensive to get into that server. And how are you going to spend the, how are you going to get all the resources to create a server that's taxing as well as, you know, have brain damage be relevant? I think the main issue is that there's not even a benefit to getting them to jack out. It's not like you get some advantage. You basically just get the click and the credits and the card back from your black level clearance anyway, right? Yeah. So. And you've, you've made them run through a server, which is what the corp wants to do. Sure, sure, sure. But I'm just thinking, like, that's only if the brain damage is so relevant that the runner can't afford to take it. Yeah, so the best case scenario is not very good, and the worst case scenario is very mediocre. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the main problem. Yeah. Uh, the next card in the pack is Mason Bellamy. It's a doppelganger for the one and only Damon Stone. So congratulations, Damon, on reaching the... Uh, required length of service at Fantasy Flight Games to get your likeness printed on a card. Uh, let's see if it's any good. It's, well, Damon designed it, so let's hope it is. It's an upgrade, sysop, 
It's unique, two to res, three to trash. Whenever an encounter with a piece of ice protecting this server ends, in which the runner broke at least one subroutine, he or she loses click if able. So this is when the encounter ends, not when the run ends. So in between two pieces of ice, where the runner has broken a subroutine, at least one, they lose clicks if able. So obvious side of laboratory synergy, reasonable synergy with viroids, I think, uh, reasonable cost. As a card, I think it's quite good, but it suffers from our usual caveats about fitting corp cards in your deck, I think. Although, you know, it makes a Fairchild on the inside of a server pretty good, but is that already good by having another Biorite outside it? Yeah, it's sort of like, if you compare it to Ash, it's better. I don't even know if it's better in big servers. Like, it's better if you have servers that the runner wants to run through multiple times um Mm -hmm. but it's not as good at actually protecting something and although now that i think about it if if you do have a a 3.0 or a 2.0 on the inside and you're pretty sure that they are want to be going to want to be clicking through it having this in the server and then any other piece of ice outside that makes it significantly less likely they're going to be able to click through that's true um but still i feel like that is not as strong as ash when it comes to actually protecting something because you know if you have more it's not like you need to have more credits than the runner to protect something with ash right as long as the server is taxing enough you can just make it so that they can't it's hard for them to decide whether they want to access or not yeah um so i sort of see this card the main advantage to this card is that you don't have to put it on in a remote like it's not mostly only effective in a remote Mm. um and you can use it as sort of a like chrisium gritty type thing on centrals like yeah not necessarily doing the exact same thing as chrisium grid but being a defensive upgrade that can help um deal with the runners uh things if you can ice up your centrals fairly well right like because if you stops can... apocalypse <laughs> if that's ever relevant yeah like that's sort of you know i think it actually does quite a few things that chris Grid wants to that does as well even if the yeah like also it's also good with account siphon like against account siphon yep um so i think that's the main advantage this card has over ash so if that's very important to you I can see playing this over Ash um, mm-hmm. in that sort of defensive upgrade slot. So, yeah, I could see it being played, but I'm not certain that, like, HP decks really want to be doing that at the moment, but we'll see. Hmm. And certainly with Ash being in the very first pack, wasn't it, in the game? Yep. And it's going to be rotating out very soon. This is an interesting one to see as a replacement. Mm-hmm. Uh, excellent well that brings us to the end of the hb cards in this pack we hope you've enjoyed our little uh trip through Hus Byroids cider laboratories uh we've managed to stay sober and i think we've seen some pretty interesting cards here i don't know i was pretty um down on these cards the first time i looked over them as a group but i think through our discussion we've uncovered a, a fair few different applications for them yeah i think so too um as always let us know if you have any insights or opinions and otherwise we'll see you next week would you like to go over the contact details for our fine podcast jesse 
I sure would. So if you'd like to send us an email, you can email us at thewinningagenda at gmail.com. If you'd like to check us out on Facebook, you can head to The Winning Agenda. If you'd like to tweet at us, you can tweet at Winning Agenda. And if you'd like to throw a few dollars our way on Patreon, we would be most appreciative. And you can head to www.patreon.com slash The Winning Agenda. Until next week, I've been Jesse Marshall here with Wolfie Harig. See you then. Thanks for listening. Bye.